Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 14th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 11th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and there's a couple things that I think we have to rip right here off the top to acknowledge. First and foremost, I was informed midweek last week that the end of my podcast kind of had an erupt ending. It was an uploading error that had happened. If you ever notice anything like that before in the future, let me know so that I can take a look at the file. There was about five minutes of last week's episode, especially if you listen early in the week, that was cut off. So please let me know so that I can take a look at it and make sure everything is working correctly. It has since been re-uploaded, and so that last five minutes is there. So if you didn't check that out last week, I'd highly recommend it. There's a kind of a neat story I get into there at the end of that. Two, especially that I am a person in the United States, September 11th is a day that is kind of a hard moment in history for a lot of people, and it's this hard day in a lot of times just of remembrance and looking back and what has all happened, and now that it's been a little over 20 years here in the United States, so it's another one of those hard moments that goes on here within the United States and recognizing and thinking about that. But we also have the question that we had for last week is, do we leave ourselves vulnerable enough to allow God to work in our lives in the way that God intends to work in our lives to end to mold us into the people that he has designed us to be molded into? And that is a loaded question. It's a very deep question. It allows for a lot of complexion. And in a lot of ways, it kind of will lead into where we're going this week. But it's also that recognition of the old country song, Jesus Take the Wheel, allowing God to be able to work within our lives, to allow the moments where we have to understand that we can only hold on so tightly and there's a point where we need to actually let go so that God can actually come in and take control of things and be able to move us in the ways in which God is wanting us to be moved in. And that will be something we will talk a lot about this week. But let's just jump right into the text this week. So again, like the last few months, we've had alternative first reading. So the one first reading is out of Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and then 22 through 28. This is continuing that Jeremiah warning that is going on to the people of Israel. And it's this recognition of how God is getting frustrated. There's a point where he wants to cleanse the people. And it's this recognition here of how God created them. God was there long before humans were ever there and created because of the isolation that was there, created out of this void to say that, no, there's something here, there's there's a sadness here, and I want to create something beautiful out of that, and we are part of that. And in that, God wants to be able to continue to have that connection because it was nothing and God wanted to be able to interact. God was lonely and wanted to be able to connect with the creation in which he had made. And thus, in a lot of ways, that's where we play is this role of being a companion to God in a lot of ways. And so this is that warning that Jeremiah is giving of don't isolate and leave God out of the situation. God wants to be part of this. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 14, all seven verses of it. 
this is again recognizing how the Lord is looking down on us and realizing there are a lot of things that we're weak on. There's a lot of things where naturally we don't have the wisdom to have the knowledge that God has had because we just haven't lived as long. It's hard for us to perceive and understand fully what God is trying to create in that we're here for such a speck of time. We're here in just a small moment. We're not seeing the vastness of it. Heck, it's hard for us to be able to understand the whole globe, much less the whole universe, when we're just occupying such a small speck of it. And so this understanding of God isn't trying to abandon, but is trying to take refuge with us, which also means that we need to be able to rejoice in that and be able to welcome God into these different situations. The other alternative Old Testament text this week is out of Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 to 14. This is where the Lord is letting Moses know while he is up on Mount Sinai that the people that he has been leading have created an image of a calf and are sacrificing to it, and he is filled with rage. And this is another one of these unique moments that we see a lot in the Old Testament of prophets talking God down. And what I mean by that is the Lord is just really frustrated and seeing us as stiff-necked and is wanting us to just, oh, I'm trying to create this amazing nation of people, and yet you guys are so arrogant and so much consumed with the self. And this is where Moses kind of tries to talk God down and being like, realizing that, yes, this is happening, but what would the Egyptians say if you brought us all the way out here just to wipe us out? And also remember that in all these people, you've had prophets like Abraham and Isaac and servants of Israel who are actually doing the best that they can. And in order for that to multiply, you have to allow for this to still play out and realize that we are a work in progress and to work with us to be able to help us get to where you're wanting us to go. And we get in the last verse that God changed God's mind about what he was going to do with the people. The psalm that is partnered with that is Psalm 51, the first 10 verses. This is then recognizing again the sinner's heart and how it's the love of God that is transcendent, that is the one that transforms us and makes us into new creations that diverges us from this path of sin and allows us to be able to move into the people that God has made us to be. But in the same breath, it's recognizing the blessings and what God has done within us and how we really aren't able to do much without God. The New Testament text, the epistle reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 17. This is Timothy recognizing how in his past, in who he has been, that he hasn't been necessarily following the way that the Lord has been wanting him to be, but yet has been transformed through the love of Christ. And in doing that, has made him into this new creation and made him into the person that God has designed Timothy to be. So this recognition of how Christ coming into one's life transforms and renews the person and makes us into a new creation. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 15, the first 10 verses. 
And I think also we have to recognize in this text on where we are going here in chapter 15, we will be getting to what is typically called the prodigal son or the story of the returning son or the story of the repentant father, however you want to put it, is something that we will be getting to here. But before we get there, we have some tax collectors who are around and they are wondering why Jesus is associating with all these sinners and eating with them. Jesus hears this, gives a couple parables of one, a man having a hundred sheep, which is a large flock, especially for that time period that would be very substantial, quite wealthy, and realizes that one of the sheep is not with them and leaves the 99 to go searching after the one and rejoices by lifting it up on his shoulders and returning and having all his friends around to rejoice that I have found this sheep again. He continues with another one where you have a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one and sweeps the house looking for it. And when she finds it, she invites over her friends and in doing that, they rejoice in finding this lost coin. And especially within the Greek, it is inviting over the female friends to celebrate in this, that the joy of this. And we get this in verse 10 then, just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So this idea of coming back around and the searching that is required in doing that, what does that all mean? What does that all look like? How does that work with God? And before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't heard Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their sermon brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to listen to not only the Working Preacher podcast with different seminary professors, but also looking through those commentaries, seeing how different people are interpreting these texts. I'd highly recommend checking that out. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out all the text week after week, but it also has different people's interpretations through art, through prayers, through hymns. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. A lot of this turning back, repenting, this recognition of what has gone on is a main part of this. But I think one of the things that I think is so unique, and especially within the gospel text, that I think kind of sets up the rest of it is recognizing, one, what is Jesus actually saying in these two parables? And what I mean by that is, why would Jesus leave the other 99 sheep? Now, granted, when you have a flock that large, you would assume that there are other shepherds. And in this, and how it is written, and again, in the translation into English, we lose this a little bit, but it's the owner of this flock, not the shepherds themselves, but the owner of the flock is leaving the other 99 to go and find the one lost sheep. Why? What makes this one sheep so valuable that it would leave the other 99 to go searching, to go be able to fight off potentially other prey and other predators to do this? Why is this so important? And even in the story of the woman with the 10 silver coins and that she's searching the house, what is the loss that we're talking about? We don't get what type of coin it necessarily is, 
but that she is looking high and low to be able to find this coin. What does that actually mean? And the reason that we even talk about that this then gets into the returning of the prodigal son is look at the numbers. We're going from 100 to 10 to 2. And look at how the father, if you know that story, when the prodigal son or the returning son returns, how much the father is excited and willing to do all these things for this returning son. And yet you have the other older son who is more disgruntled by it. And that's a whole nother discussion for another week. But this idea of how God is so excited about the return, God is so excited about the renewing of this. And I think the science tie-in is we have to recognize and look at what causes speciation, which then we'll be touching on some evolution here. And this will all kind of weave together. So trust me in this. So first we have to define what a species is. And a species is a group of organisms that can breed and produce Fertile offspring. Now, that's a very key point. So fertile offspring being that the offspring themselves can reproduce. So this isn't like a mule or a zonkey or ligers that when these animals are created, yes, they're a unique species, but they aren't able to breed. They're non-fertile offspring because of how things line up. So In order to have a species, the species needs to be able to create and be able to do that itself. To to be able to create a new species, you need two populations that no longer can mate together successfully. So you have to have reproduction isolation. We need to have groups of species that are somehow isolated. And in doing that, there's a lot of ways that this can happen. It can happen pre-zygotic, which would be before the egg. So this can be something as behavioral changes. So like the eastern and western meadowlark, how their songs changed and then the preferences that the females had. You had a whole species that went for the eastern meadowlark. You had a whole group of the species that went for the western meadowlark, thus creating new species because of behavioral changes. This can also be just a species going from diurnal, so awake during the day, to becoming more nocturnal. And that behavioral change, changing things, and thus making it so that those populations aren't seeing each other, aren't reacting to each other, thus pre-zygotic, that they are separated. Another one would be like geography, so distance or some type of barrier, maybe a river, maybe a mountain, or that they're so far apart that they aren't able to interact together, thus creating uh, separation in the species. Or it can be post-zygotic, which we kind of discussed on a little bit, where you're not producing fertile offspring. So like the ligers, zonkeys, and mules that we discussed earlier, or that it's causing miscarriages or no embryonic development, or the fetus is so large that it kills the mother. These would all be post-zygotic examples of reproduction isolation. If 
we are looking at something that is coming from geography, that that is the limiting factor. We have allopathic speciation, so that the geography itself is creating separation and is causing this change. And so this can be something like mountain ranges. I know this has been something that is being discussed in the birding world at different points where are some of these species because of mountain ranges actually starting to evolve far enough apart where they're becoming no longer viable to breed together and thus making something that's actually separate in and of itself to something different. But you also have sympatriotic speciation so that there is some other factor that's going on in between there that the populations are separating themselves naturally. So you can look at how in hybrid populations where where you're getting a hybrid that potentially there's still some breeding that it can still do to be able to create speciation. I'll attach a link down below. There's a whole series of that within the Galapagos that was done by Peter and Rosemary Grant that over 30 years they saw how the median ground finch and the cactus finch had a hybrid that arrived from another island and that over about a 30-year period from 1981 to officially in 2009 that this hybrid from this other island had created speciation on the island itself that it was only breeding with itself and no longer breeding with these other examples. But even in getting into that, we have to then talk briefly about how evolution works. So there's three major types of evolution. There is divergent evolution, parallel evolution, and convergent evolution. So divergent evolution is what you typically think, that you have one species and that the traits In that species, there becomes two traits that start to separate the species out. So maybe one has more of a naturally white coat and maybe one's more of a brown coat. And over time, the white coats and the brown coats don't interact, thus creating speciation. So something that is different. Convergent evolution is where you have two separate species developing similar traits. So this is something that we've seen a lot, like wings, where we've had insects develop wings, we've had dinosaurs, so that would be reptiles developing wings, we've had mammals develop wings in regards of bats, and we also have birds developing wings. This is something that if you look at the structures and everything like that, they're all very similar in a lot of ways, but everybody converging to that and independently evolving this trait, not that they were coming from a common ancestor and then going out. So the kind of the opposite of divergent, that they're coming together in that they have similar traits, but they're still individual species. Parallel evolution is interesting that you have two species with a common ancestor that evolved to have similar traits independent of each other. So this often then happens when you're in similar environments. So thus, like if you are taking marsupials and marsupial mammals and placient mammals. So mammals with a pouch and mammals without a pouch and how we have very similar like flying squirrels and gliders. We have 
different types of moles that you have a marsupial mole and then an irregular mole for mammals. So this idea of if you look at how they've evolved in their environments for moles having long talons and being able to dig and having, you know, very pointed nose and different things like that, gliders and flying squirrels having developed the skin flaps be able to fly and be developing being successful at night so these animals with common ancestors developing similar traits what does this all have to do with the gospel text the final linchpin to me to be able to kind of tie this all together is understanding what is one of the most famous studies within biology is darwin's finches and Darwin's finches is a classic example of adaptive radiation. So this idea that having a common ancestor and then as they are living together, each of them adapting to find roles within the ecosystem that benefit each other. So the idea of within Darwin's finches, you have ones that eat plants, ones that eat insects, and within the insects, there's also ones that you eat insects, but use tools to be able to eat insects. You have other ones that eat seeds, you have other ones that eat cactus, and you have other ones that just eat insects themselves. So this idea of how in that they've evolved differently so that maybe they have different bills, different ways, and it's more like how I think of it, the body of Christ evolving to be able to have these different needs tying into like first corinthians chapter 12 that we are part of this big body each of us having different skills and abilities so this idea of how together we are able to go through adaptive radiation so the idea of us all being together we are then able to evolve or adapt to each other to better serve the community we can get to a point where if we leave that we can have parallel evolution that still gets us to where God was intending us to be, but it took longer because we had to separate off and then evolve it separately instead of efficiently doing it together. And why is this so important? I really see this as an example of thinking how God would prefer us going through adaptive radiation because God is concerned that when we evolve, or go through evolution, that in that evolution, one of the things that might get modified or changed or left out is the relationship with God. God likes keeping us close and keeping us in this adaptive radiation where God then is making sure that we're all interacting together and seeing the body of Christ. He doesn't like seeing one going off on its own. Because in doing that, there's the potential of losing oneself. Thus why God goes and leaves the 99 to chase the one, leaves the other nine to go after one. And as this later gets in Luke, leaves the other one to go and find the one that had been gone. This idea of how God is constantly not wanting us to potentially leave God out of what we are going through, what we are doing. We see this then in these texts on how Jeremiah is recognizing this and saying, do you not understand what God has done for you? Do you not understand how God has been trying to set this up and he wants to be in this relationship? He's created all this place and he knows it's wonderful and wants to share all these things with you. But in order to share, you have to interact. 
that's where Moses is so easily able to talk God down off this ledge in this fiery rage because don't you want to have this interaction? You still have had this, and even though we are ignorant and stiff-necked, that there are still times of where we can get through. And that's where when you start looking at the first Timothy reading, to me, almost sounds more like parallel evolution and how Timothy recognizing that he was away from where God was and that he modified and still was able to evolve into the person that God had designed him to be. Still getting those different characteristics to be able to see how God is working within Timothy. Siblings in Christ, this is why, to me, this text is so interesting because it's the recognition of how much God does love us, and it's the recognition of how much God does want to keep us together, and it also ties in so well with where God is trying to see us as a whole body even when we can't see it. God is trying to have us adapt to each other and work together with each other and that the adaptations is for the betterment of the whole community instead of evolving separately and then having to come back in to fill the role that we had initially God had designed for us. And if we had been able to stay part of the group, we would have been able to get to quicker, thus benefiting the whole ecosystem that's around us. This is so important in so many ways. He wants to have the genetic variety that's around. That's one of the scary things with populations that get out on islands. You either see them be pygmy or much smaller than the originals in a lot of cases, or giant based off the nutrition on the island. But over enough period of time, because they can't ever interact with the other population, reproduction, isolation, as we talked about earlier, they become their own species. They become their own thing. And are they able to go through parallel evolution and become still what God has created them to be? Potentially. And But the question also becomes for us as homo sapiens, as us as followers of Christ, why would we separate to still get to where we can Why not get there earlier so that we can become the people that God has created us to be and spend more time there so we can figure out the next thing on where God is wanting us to be? God loves us so much. That's why God is willing to leave things behind to go and get that one because I don't want to leave you behind. And I don't want you the possibility for you to quote unquote evolve or develop without me being there. God cares and wants to be there every step of the way. He doesn't want the possibility of us potentially losing him in our DNA, that we evolve out of having God in our own DNA. And I know as a scientist, that's a stretch, but I think metaphorically here, that's what we can talk about. Trying to care for this community and welcoming, yes, more back in to be able to be part of that community. Is it still possible to get to the place where God is getting you to be outside that population? Sure. But it takes longer. And it takes longer to even for Timothy as he's recognizing how long it took him to evolve to become the person that God had created him to be. Just think about if he had been raised and spent time in that initially. How much faster that would have been to be able to get there. In our own lives, how often are we doing this and making it harder for God to be able to make us into the people and allow us to understand the people that we are meant to be? Genetics doesn't always take a lot of time. Example being Peter and Rosemary Grant with their species of having the hybrid come into one of the islands on the Galapagos. 
They saw it in 30 years, how things had evolved and changed and suddenly something new was there. Now, was it necessarily bad? No, but it's also the recognition on how things can change quickly. And I think us as the body, us as the church have to realize that also. And in doing that recognition work, it allows us to be able to become more of who God has designed us to be by recognizing that we do need to be spending more and more time with him. It's harder when we go away to be able to evolve back. It takes a longer process. So the question I have for you this week is, are you spending time with the group? Are you spending time with the group? Are you spending time with the rest of the flock? Are you spending time with the other nine coins? Are you spending time with the family if you're looking at the prodigal son or the lost son or the forgiving father story? Or are you part of that one that's leaving everything else behind? Because I think in our lives, there are times that we're in both groups. And I think it's in a lot of ways recognizing when do we need to strike it out on our own because that's where God is leading us and that we're not being led astray, that we are being led that way, but also recognizing the moments when we are being led astray and God's wanting us to come back and trying to figure out and limit that on both sides. It's a difficult, hard task, but it's important. And it's a part and part of our faith walk, but there's also hope in this too, that yes, it may take us longer to get there, but we can still get there. But it's the recognition of it's a lot easier if we go through adaptation radiation instead of having to evolve immediately into a new species and then go through that process. I think in a lot of ways we do that and we need to recognize it and try working together and thus the more of the body of Christ we have together, the better off we are to be able to better understand where God is calling us. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.